Good morning, New Life. I trust you are doing well and ready to jump into the Word of God today. Would you stand with me as we prepare our hearts for the Word? We don't always mention this as much as we should, but most of you that have been around for a while know this. Uh, this is one of 42 worship services that we have on Sunday morning in the Chicagoland area. And so you're a part of what we like to call a movement church. We started in one location. We currently meet at 27 different locations around the city of Chicago. Uh, each of those locations has a worship service. We have 42 worship services between somewhere around five to 7,000 people meet on a regular Sunday morning. And um, we hold services in English, in Spanish, and in Mandarin, just in case. But you know, we also um, plant, started to plant overseas. And so I, I just got some, I saw some images recently and I said, I need to remind our congregation that we're a part of uh, a church that's planting, expanding, making disciples. I just saw some images of our church in northern Spain, baptizing people in the ocean. And I thought, you know, we don't celebrate it as, as much as we should, but that church, two churches are planted in northern Spain because years ago here, we launched them out to plant. And so there are people that are coming to Christ. We have uh, uh, some uh, churches, house churches in Havana, Cuba, and Cuba's been going through a major upheaval, but we've helped plant in Havana, Cuba, some New Life congregations as well. And um, just in the process of, uh, we haven't really officially celebrated, but in Nicaragua, um, we have a group that was supposed to start during COVID, but they had to postpone it, but they're meeting, gathering together in Jesus' name. So I want you to know that you may just be a part of this service on Sunday morning, but you're a part of something much bigger at New Life um, that gathers together on a regular basis. New Life Centers was launched out of New Life as well. And New Life Centers works with at-risk youth in the city of Chicago. And uh, this past year, New Life Centers and New Life Community Church, we helped feed 1.6 million people the largest food distributor in the state of Illinois, the people of God. And so I was reminded we need to celebrate what God is doing amongst us, the diversity, the beauty of the gospel, so many people coming to Christ. And we believe that some of the most exciting, greatest days of this ministry and impacting people are ahead of us. So thank you for being a part of this. As we prepare for the word today, if you feel comfortable doing so, would you just raise your hands? Raising our hands is talked about in scripture as a sign of surrender, it's a sign of worship, it's a sign of God, here I am. All that I have, all that you have, God, I receive from you today. So Father, as we get into your word today, I pray that you would speak to us. 
I pray for that person right now that feels alone, isolated, disconnected, a spectator in an audience today, God, I pray that they would transition from being a spectator to being family, community. I pray for that person that walked in burdened, overwhelmed by life's uh, burdens and uh, circumstances. I pray that they would find relief and understand that you carry our burdens. I pray for that person today that doesn't know you and is here because they're seeking more of you. Manifest yourself in a powerful, compelling way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like for you to take your Bibles today and turn. If you have a Bible, <coughs> a physical Bible, you can turn in your uh, digital Bible. We're in Hebrews chapter 10. I want to talk to you about what to do when you don't know what to do. Have you ever been in a circumstance where you say, I, I just don't know what to do? I had a conversation recently with someone that was telling me how challenging this past season has been. They went on to tell me how they, their life had been disrupted like everybody else's life. They didn't feel as connected to community as they were before. They had a, um, a son that was struggling. Uh, they were worried about economics. They were talking about how spiritually they just felt like they were in a slump and just not in a good place. And just life has felt very strange to them. And they ended the conversation by saying, I just don't know what to do. And so today in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe that the writer of the Hebrews is answering that question about what to do when you don't know what to do. In fact, we have some things in common with the writer, the Hebrews, that this letter is directed to. Many of you know that the Bible is made up of 66 different books uh, compiled together over a season of time, inspired by God, put into a canon process, and we call it the Bible. The Bible means the book. And the, the book is a compilation of 66 books written over quite a span of time, but viewed by scholars and early church fathers as the inspired word of God. And so the, the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews the authorship is not quite clear. Many people believe it was the Apostle Paul, but uh, I'll just call it the writer of the Hebrews. But he's writing to a group of people who had been under a lot of stress. In fact, they had suffered. They had been a lot, under a lot of persecution for being Christians. And some of them were falling away. Some of them were struggling some of them were saying, I, I don't know if I want to continue to follow Jesus. Some of them were saying, I want to continue to follow, but they had actually started to drift away. And so the writer of the Hebrews is challenging them. He's encouraging them to continue to persevere, to not give up, to not throw in the towel, so to speak. 
and to continue on during this turbulent season. Before I read this verse, starting in verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10, I was thinking to myself that for some people it's been the perfect storm. Think about it. 16, 17 months ago, we were introduced to a virus, a global pandemic that basically told people, hey, you can't gather together with other people. And so everybody had to stay at home for a while. Churches were, we weren't able to meet like we normally meet, so people went online. So the very thing that sometimes keeps you strong, community, fellowship, that was sort of taken away. Some of you are real huggers, and it was like, no, you can't hug now. Some of you, the way that you feel connected is, hey, bro, and it was like, hey, bro, high five over there. And so suddenly you were disconnected from people. Many people disconnected from their jobs, working out of their home offices or working out of home. And then to ex exasperate the issue of being isolated, uh, you had something else that worked just as more, just as difficult on your psyche and your mind and your soul, and that is called the television or the news feed. Because in the midst of that, our country happened to be going through one of the most volatile political seasons, and so uh, people were just, you turn on the news and it is one side against the other, nonstop um, non-stop fighting and polarization and dividing the country between us versus them, right versus left, this side, that side. And it was hard to not to keep yourself from sort of falling into one side against the other enemy. And so you're at home with a constant feed. I've had some people said, I had to repent of watching so much news because I got sucked into it. How many of you know the feeling? So you're isolated from people, nonstop news of a divided country, and if that weren't enough, then you add to that the racial tension that existed over this past, uh, especially several uh, months that started to bubble up to the surface, and now it was not only political division, isolation, but racial tension across the country, and then add to that the economy, and people, do we go back to work, do we not go back to work, and so we've had the perfect mix to isolate people, divide people, discourage people, disconnect people. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It's important that you listen to this because especially when you're discouraged and you don't know what to do, sometimes we do things that worsen our discouragement or our disconnection. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. There are three clear steps that the writer of the Hebrews is telling believers that during times of tension, they need to take in order to survive. When they don't know what to do, here are three clear things that every believer, especially during difficult times, needs to do. Number one, have confidence to draw near to God. Let me say this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, it's not about a church that you attend. It's not about just reading the Bible. It's not about having some memorized prayer. It's about closeness to your creator. It's about relationship with God. And some of us are believers, but we're not, we're not accessing what we have, drawing near to God. How many of you know that you can be a Christian and not feel, feel near to God? You, have, you can have prayed a prayer and read your Bible, but not necessarily understand that you can be near to God. I know believers that walk as though God were a thousand miles away. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, hey, during this time, especially during this time, you need to make sure that you are drawing near to God. I can hear you almost now saying, well, pastor, I want to, I, I, I want to be close to God, but I just feel like something's there. I, I, I want my heart to be on fire. I want to be in that place, but I don't know. Something's missing. Something's gone. I feel like I'm in a weird state, and I come to church, but it's hard to worship. I try to pray, and I get distracted. I read my Bible, and before I know it, my mind is wondering. I don't know, I don't know how to get there. Well, I'm glad you ask. So let's look at what the writer of the Hebrews is telling us. There's a couple interesting things he's telling us. First of all, I want you to understand that he's telling the Hebrew believers that they need to understand they have access and clearance to the presence of God. They have access and clearance into the room that is the most powerful room in the universe, the room of God's presence. Have you ever been somewhere where someone stopped you and said, hey, you don't have clearance? Or you didn't go inside and say, no, no, you don't have access to this area. That ever happened to you? It means that you are not authorized to go into this area. You have not been cleared uh, to go in. And, and they'll stop you and say, hey, hey, no, 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 no. Let, let, man, let me see your credentials to get in. That ever happened to anybody here? Or you walk into a place and someone say, hey, sir, where are you going? You look around and like, oh, where's your, where's your card? Or where's your, no, 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 get out. Go, go on that side. I was just recently traveling, and uh, I was in line, 
and I travel so much I have like a pre, uh, you have to go through global entry and they give you this card that allows you to skip some of the lines because they, they do a search on your background, make sure you're cleared. And so um, it, it cuts down the line and, and I was in one of those lines and a lady had been waiting and she got up and the, the, the TSA agent at the airport said, ma'am, you don't have clearance. You, this isn't your line. You have to go. And he showed her this big, long line she had to go to. She was not happy. But what the writer of the Hebrews wants the believers to know, and I want, what I want you to understand today, is this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, confidence is that assurance, that ability, that authority, that knowledge to enter into the most high place, that you have confidence. You don't have to go to the throne room of God with tentative fear, wondering, am I supposed to go? Can I go? Am I allowed to go in there? No, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that you have confidence. You can have this sense of authority that when you go there, you are given access. Confidence means I'm not going to be turned away. Confidence means I don't get to the door and say, hey, can I come in? Confidence means I go to the door and open it up and say, I know I can come in. I have the right to come into this place. I have confident access to where? To the, listen, he says, to the most holy place. You say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. You see, I sinned yesterday. I fell. I was driving in Chicago traffic, and I swore. So I don't know if I come, God's going to say, hey, there you foul mouth, you stay out of here. No, it's not about your holiness. It's not about your righteousness. Listen, you have access to the most holy place by what? By the blood of Jesus. Now, what does that mean by the blood of Jesus? It means by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. It means that Jesus died to pay a price that you couldn't pay, to give you a clearance that you couldn't earn, to give you the power that you did not deserve, to take away the wrath of God from upon you, and actually to become righteousness for you. So it's not about you. It's about the sacrifice done on your behalf. It's about the sacrifice of Jesus. It says, it says in verse 20, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. You see, the Jewish believers had a temple mindset or mentality about the presence of God. A temple mindset. In the Jewish tradition, the only people that had access to the Holy of Holies was the high priest. There was a mammoth temple that was built, and the regular people had access to the open courts, but there was the Holy of Holies that represented the presence of God, and there was a thick four-inch curtain that was 60 feet high and four inches thick that separated the regular people from the Holy of Holies. Once a year, on a Jew, on a, in the Jewish festival or season called the Day of Atonement, 
the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. He would enter in with fear and trembling. As he would go into this place, legend says that they would tie a rope around his feet, around his ankle, just in case he had not done everything correct, that he could be struck dead, and then they would just pull his body out of the Holy of Holies because no one was allowed to enter. It was such a sacred, holy place, the presence and the power of God. Inside of that room called the Holy of Holies, the inner part of the temple was the Ark of the Covenant with the tablets of the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, and a pot of manna inside, but it was the Holy of Holies. So the Jewish people had been trained to have a mindset that the only person that can go into the Holy of Holies is the high priest, and he can only go in once a year, and I hope he survives. So the writer of Hebrews is blowing their mind by telling them this, you have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now, some of you that are believers already know this, but do you remember what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary? Uh, do you remember what happened? Oh, there was quite a few things that happened. This, the, the, the earth turned dark, thunderstorms arose, graves were opened, but something happened in the temple that was symbolic, powerful, that would point to a message that would bring truth for you and I. Because on the day that Jesus died on the cross, that thick veil that existed to separate people from the Holy of Holies it tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, at that moment, the moment that Jesus breathed his last, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rock split. Why? Because what God was saying is from now on, notice it wasn't torn from the bottom to the top because that would symbolize that man tore it. It was torn from the top to the bottom, symbolizing that God was tearing it. And he didn't, he didn't just move it aside. We have curtains in the back that when service starts, we move them over. We slide them over. They didn't fold the curtains and put it to the side for another season. They didn't just put it to the side. They ripped the curtain from the top to the bottom by the hand of God, symbolizing from this day forward. It's not just the high priest that has access to the throne of God. It's not just that, that one person on the day of atonement that can come into the Holy of Holies. From this day forward, every believer in Jesus, every person that's been washed because Jesus paid the price can now go into the very Holy of Holies and talk to God and walk with God with confidence, know that their prayers are heard and listened to by the most high God of the universe. It's powerful. Spurgeon, who was an English preacher, 
He said it this way, for believers, the veil was not rolled up, but was torn. The veil was not unhooked and carefully folded and put away so that it may be put in place for some future time. Oh, no. But the divine hand of God took it and tore it from top to bottom. It can never be hung up again. That is impossible between those who are in Christ Jesus and the great God. There will never be another separation. What am I telling you? I'm telling you this. If you have been washed in the blood of Jesus, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. You can enter into the presence of God with boldness and confidence knowing that he hears your prayer and answers you and listens that you have access to God Almighty because of the work of Jesus. That should make you want to bow at the foot of the cross and say, thank you, Lord, for doing what I could never do on my own. So, draw near to God. It gives us the courage to draw near to God. In verse 22, it says, So let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and full of assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So he says, let's draw near to God for a believer. Let me just break that down a little bit. For a believer, it says, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. When the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they would take a freshly sacrificed animal while the blood was not coagulated or stale, while it was fresh, and they would sprinkle it on the high priest, symbolizing that um, blood had been shed to cleanse him. We don't have any animal sacrifice in this place. There is no special room where we kill goats and lambs. Why? Because there was a sacrifice that happened years ago that would end all sacrifices. And if you ever go any place where they say, well, we got to kill a chicken or we got to do the sacrifice in order to sort of make you clean, you run fast out of that place as fast as you can because there has been a sacrifice that was made. His, he is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, the only holy, the only pure, God himself. And from that day forward, every believer has been sprinkled through the blood sprinkled upon you. So it says, um, having our hearts sprinkled, that's referring to the blood of Jesus, from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's referring to baptism. Now those were, it's the, the temple and the priest is just a shadow of things to come. The sprinkling has the image of the blood of Jesus and the washing has the image of baptism. So as a believer, you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, you've been baptized, and you can come straight into the presence of Jesus knowing that you have access and draw close to God. Here's what I want you to understand. Listen to me. Listen to me well. If you are a Christian and you are not walking close to God, oftentimes it's because of guilt or shame or a feeling of rejection 
or I'm not worthy, or I can't stand before him. Those are lies of the enemy. You have been bought, purchased, washed, and cleansed. Now, if you walk in a manner that's not worthy of your calling, then it's going to hinder your walk. So we repent and live up to our calling, not to gain access, but because we have access. You don't repent from your sins so that you can be righteous before God. You are righteous, and therefore you repent of your sins. No, you're not hearing me today, so let me say it again. You don't really stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend so that you can be right with God. It's because you're right with God that you stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend because you are a called out holy person with the blood of Jesus washed. You are a son or daughter of the Most High God and so you live and walk as a son or daughter of the Most High God. You're not doing it to become something. You're doing it because you are something. Do you understand me? So you draw close to God. Some of you have access, but you're not enjoying that access. Some of you can go into the presence, but you're not going into the presence. Some of you are staying on the outside, and you feel distant from God because you're not entering in with confidence, saying, here I am, Daddy, Abba, in your presence, walking with you, filled with the Spirit, sensing God when you go to work, when you're driving, when you wake up in the morning, closeness to God, hearing his voice, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, that's your call. That's your heritage. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that's who God has called you to be. That's what he's called you to do. Number two, draw near. Not only does he tell us, let us have courage to draw near. Number two, he tells us, have the faith to hold on to hope. In verse 23 it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. This image that he gives us here, hold unswervingly, it's in the Greek translated, it means that you hold it in such a way that you don't lean to the left or to the right, but that you hold it very firmly. And so he says, I want you to hang on, hang on tight to hope. What is hope? Hope is the assurance of a better future based in the promises of God. That's hope. Hope is I hang on to the promises knowing that this life is temporary, but God is eternal. That's hope. Hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is a firm, grounded sense of my future because I believe the promises of God. Uh, sometimes people say, well, Pastor, yeah, uh, Pastor Mark, you're, you're just uh, an optimist. No, 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 I'm not an optimist. I'm a faith-filled follower of Jesus that's hanging on to the promises of God, and when I hang on to the promises of God, I know who wins. I know who's on the throne. I know my future. Oh, I may, I experience 
the tri trials and struggles like everybody else does, but in the end, I know that there's a sovereign God. I know that this pandemic did not catch God by surprise. I know that he can snap his finger and change the course of the universe. I know that he knows the future, past, present, and future. I know that he can depose people and put people up. I know that he manages the futures of kingdoms, and he puts people in power and takes people down. I know the one who manages this world, and even if I cannot understand what is happening in this world, I know the person behind, ultimately, that dictates what's happening in the future, and that gives me a sense of confidence. I'm not worried. So he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that you profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hang on. You got to hang on to hope, because you know that his promises are faithful. How many of you know it's hard to hang on sometimes when you're being battered around? How many of you know it's difficult to just say, God, I believe you. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to worry. I'm, I just know you're in control, God. <sighs> you're in control. I was, uh, my wife and I took a trip recently, and we were down by the ocean, and where we were staying, there was a riptide. And so we were walking along the ocean, and um, I had a phone call, uh, sort of a work-related phone call, and I got permission from my wife. I said, do you mind if I answer this? I know we're supposed to be on vacation. She said, yeah. So I answered the phone call, and I'm talking on the phone while we're walking alongside of the beach, and all of a sudden I hear, Mark! I mean, we're walking along the beach. We're not swimming. It's, you know, the water is low, and I, I said, excuse me, hold on, and I look over, and my wife is in the water, down, looking at me like, Mark. So I just hung up. I didn't even tell the other guy what happened. I just ran over to her, ran over to her. And, and, and about the time I was there to uh, start to pick her up, a wave came in and knocked us both down and then sucked us back. It's called a riptide. It's very powerful. And so I found myself, she had a shirt in her hand. I found myself holding onto a shirt, and she's grabbing a shirt with both hands as the ocean is sucking her in. And I'm, I'm trying to pull her out. I said, hang on, honey, hang on. This must have gone on for about five minutes. Finally, she grabbed a hold of my leg, and I'm trying to brace against, and she's grabbing my leg, and, you know, finally got her out of there. Afterwards, she said, you saved my life. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you got to hang on to something when it's hard to hang on. And some of you experienced trying to hang on to hope when you're being battered, when bad news is hitting you, when job news is hitting you, when there's people fighting and difficulty and you think something's over and it's not and you're hanging on to hope but you have that's the image that he's giving here hang on tighter hang on to hope why because God's promises you can trust God's promises they are yes and amen if God said it you can trust it so hang on tight and then lastly what do you do when you don't know what to do? One, draw close. Two, 
hang on to hope. And number three, this is very practical. He says at verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So the last one is have the commitment to stay involved. Can I tell you? Listen, he gets real practical here. He says, hey, if you're going to make it through a difficult time, the first thing is your relationship with God. Draw near. The second thing is that you need to hang on to hope because it's going to be beaten out of you very quickly unless you hang on tight and believe the promises of God. But the third one that helps you draw near and hang on to hope is a very practical one, and it's you need to make sure that you are connecting with believers that are following Jesus and not give up, not get into the habit of not gathering together with people that are following Jesus because it's a source of strength and encouragement. He says, don't, he says, consider how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That word, by the way, consider, is focus intently, and the word spur is how to incite or provoke or irritate someone to love and good deeds. You know, when you get around the body of believers, hopefully if you're around people that are really serious about Jesus, it's going to spur you on to want to know more about Jesus. It's going gonna, it's gonna to push you a little bit to get into your Bible, push you a little bit to have a better marriage, push you a little bit to get serious about your walk with God. How many of you know people that when you're around, you just want to follow Jesus more when you're around them? How many people know people that when you're around them, you feel like you almost have to go take a shower afterwards because it's the opposite. It's kind of like they, they suck you into the muck and mire of the world, and you're like, yeah, man, I don't know. The, the conversation, what we were talking about, their whole flow, it feels a little bit the opposite. How many of you know what I'm talking about here? Well, the writer of the Hebrews, it says, if you're going to make it, you need to Ask yourself, how can we spur each other on to love and good deeds? Let me give you two quick examples here that just I heard this morning, and these are just fresh on my mind. One brother talked to me in the parking lot, and he owns a business, a printing business. I'm not going to say his name just because I, I didn't ask him permission to tell this story, but he, he said, hey, he said, my business, and we really, during this time, it's been a tough time struggling for business, getting the right business. Someone called me up and said, hey, I got a great job for you. It can make you quite a bit of money. And he said, okay, what kind of job is it? He says, it's smut. In other words, uh, you, it's printing pornography. And he's like, man, I'm really struggling for business. This is difficult. It's hard. I need some business. He called up some, prayer, some brothers that he prays with on a regular basis, and they said, bro, what? Printed pornography? Absolutely not. You walk away from that. You say no. There's not even a question about what you should do. And so he told him, hey, I, I'm not going to do that. And right after that, he had an opportunity with a Christian organization that's saying, hey, we're thinking about hiring you to print some stuff for us. But that is, listen, that is spurring one another on to love and good deeds. How about it? 
I was just talking to another brother that told me, hey, he was just, uh, a couple weeks ago, I prayed with him. He was really, 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 really struggling, really going through a difficult time. And he told me, hey, bro, you remember last time we prayed? I was really going through a difficult time. He said, I joined a men's group. I, I, I've been awakened to a hunger for the word. I want more of the word now. It's really changed me around. I'm hanging out with believers. It's helping me out. These men are spurring me on. And I simply want to say, listen, tell me who you hang with, and I'll tell you what you look like. Tell me who you're hanging out with, and I'll tell you what your life looks like. Because the Bible says we are, I'm not talking about living in a holy huddle, because we need to be out there. We need to share our faith. We need to get out there. But you need to have times, consistent times, where you develop relationships with people that love Jesus, where you hang out with people that love Jesus. Here's what it says. And do not... Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another the more as you see the day approaching. Can I tell you something about this? Absence usually is the first indicator of either discouragement or lack of drive, or lack of hunger, or lack of desire. I, I hate to break it to you, honey, but if he hasn't called you up in three months, I think it's over. No, he's just busy. Yeah, no, 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 no. Remember those five dates in a row? Now it's been three months of silence. I think his phone's not working. It must be disconnected. No, no, no. Let me, let me just break it nicely to you. He's not into you. It's over. Absence is the first indication. Hey, you stop. Hey, you were really good going to the gym at the beginning of the year because you were motivated and you had those 15 COVID pounds that you were going to release. Those stubborn 15 COVID pounds. And then suddenly, you, you stop going less and less. Now it's been three weeks. You, 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 you go intermittently. You say, yeah, I go regularly. Yeah, regularly means you go every two months. That means consistently every two months you show up at the gym. What that's telling me is you lost your drive. What that's telling me is that you've lost your desire because your commitment is indicated by the consistency of your involvement. Listen, spiritually it's the same thing. Hello? Oh no, pastor, I'm into Jesus. Yeah, I'm into Jesus. You know, it's baseball practice and COVID and, you know, a lot of stuff going on. So I, I can't be there as much as I want to. Can I tell you, you can be there as much as you want to. And the first thing that goes is our presence, and you know what, I do think that COVID has been an interesting time because I have people tell me, you know, Pastor, I just don't feel comfortable going to church. And, and I, I understand if you have a pre-existing condition, if there's an issue, I don't want anybody f to feel guilty for not being physically present here, especially if they're concerned about getting sick. But listen, when you're at Lollapalooza, <laughs> jamming with Post Malone, 
And then you say, Pastor, I just don't feel comfortable coming to church because I don't know the people. Listen, you are just jam-packed with 20,000 people, and now you can't come to church. Listen, when I see you out there and everything else, but listen, church isn't, there's no, there's no accelerated virus in church when you can go everywhere else, but suddenly you can't come to church. I'm thinking there's more of an issue behind there. Hello? In other words, don't use COVID as an excuse to get disconnected. You need to be connected. You need to be engaged. You need to be uh, meeting with people. If you have to do it online, do it online, however you need to do it. But I'm convinced that sometimes we allow the circumstances in life to pull us away and to begin to affect our spiritual life. And this is what he says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Do you know what he's saying? There is a battle for your soul. And some will shrink back and ultimately be destroyed spiritually. But he says, but you're not of those. So remember, draw near to God. What do you need to do to stir up your spiritual heart? Get into the presence of God. Crank up that praise music. Carve out a time to be with the Lord. I do every single morning. That's part of my pattern. A time of prayer, a time in the word. Because why? I want to hang out with Jesus before I get into this crazy world. Hang on to the promises. Don't lose hope. Don't allow yourself to start becoming this negative person that looks at the world in a terrible way. Remember, he's on the throne. God is in control. Trust his promises. Hang on tight. And then thirdly, get involved. Do not disconnect from people. Join a small group. Get consistent in your worship at uh, uh, times like this. Listen, if you come to this church and no one knows your name, I'm sorry. If you've been coming on a regular basis, now, now part of it's probably your fault. Last song's over. <laughs> I see some of you come in a little bit late and leave as fast as you can. Why? 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 What's going on? I don't want people in my business. Hey, listen, we are the family of God. We are not a theater of God. We are not a crowd of God. We're not an event. This is the family of God. People should know your name. You should know other people's name. We want to get involved in your life. You should be involved in, your, in people's life. People should ask you, how's your marriage doing? If you're struggling, someone should know about it. That's what it is. This is not an audience. This is not a spectator sport. And I want to challenge you. In a church like this, you could get lost. You could be anonymous, but I'm going to challenge you, encourage you. There are so many places that you could get involved, that you should be involved. You need to know people's name. Get involved in a small group. Hang around a little bit afterwards. Don't shoot out the door as fast as you can. Get to know some people. Hang out with some people. Join crossover ministry if you're a single young adult. Join the fusion group if you're married. If you're a youth, get involved in the youth ministry. That's what the family of God does so that we can spur each other on to love and good deeds. You want to make it? You want to survive? You want to thrive? You can. 
but it takes some effort on our part. I'm going to ask that we stand together now. I know some of you are saying I should have stayed home. Listen, I'm your pastor. That means I care about what happens to your life. I may not know everybody by name. But there are people that should know your name. So I want to challenge you, regardless of your age, your ethnicity, your accent, your political affiliation. Here's the big divider. Cubs or Sox fans. Regardless, regardless, we're all mourning for the Cubs lately, but regardless, this is the family of God. We are the people of God. Well, Pastor, I don't know, you know, what if people get to know me and they say, get out of this church? They're not. If you're seeking God, if you want to grow. So I'm going to close this time together. I'm going to close with two challenges. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, you talked about drawing near to God. I don't have the confidence that I can go into the Holy of Holies because I don't know if I've been sprinkled and washed. I don't know if I've come to Jesus and he's cleansed me and I haven't been baptized, but I want to be a follower of Jesus. I don't want to get to the Holy of Holy door and say, can I go in, can I not, I'm not sure. You should know for sure. The Bible calls it being born again. It's a decision to follow Jesus. If you have not made it, it's not about a prayer, it's about a commitment saying, I choose to follow Jesus. And in choosing to follow Jesus, I ask him to save me, wash me, cleanse me, apply his blood to me, and I choose to follow him. I repent of my sins because my sins will damn me, and I can use that in church in the proper theological context. My sins will damn me or the blood of Jesus will save me. And if I'm not saved, if I haven't given my life to Jesus, then I, I don't have confidence. Some of you do not have confidence because you, have you don't know if you're washed. You've never made that commitment. And so there's an insecurity about going into the Holy of Holies. And that should end today. So if you've never made that decision, then I'm going to allow you an opportunity. You say, I've never been... I've never given my life to Christ. I've never been baptized, but I know I need to give my life to Christ, surrender to him, and follow up with believer's baptism, sprinkling and washed. If you're here today saying, I, I, need to know, I, I know I need to do that, Pastor, wherever you're at here, I'm not going to ask people to close their eyes. Anybody can see you. 
and everybody can look around. But if you say today, I want to follow Jesus. If you're here today and you say, I want to follow Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I've never done it, but I need to follow Jesus. I need to give my life to Christ, be baptized. I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Give my life to Christ and be baptized. All right. There may be some hands. I didn't see that. But if you, if you, if you need to take that step, in a moment, I'm going to ask that you come forward here and just pray with some people. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, and you say, Pastor, I've allowed myself to slip away from community, from fellowship, from connection. I don't know people's name. I'm not integrated. I'm not involved. I've slipped away, and I feel the isolation, but I hear the word, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Stay connected. Spur each other on. Get involved in each other's lives, and you say, I, I need to make that. I can't. Hey, the summer's coming to an end. The fall is coming. I need to be involved. This is my family, not just I need to switch from being this just being an event I attend to, this is the family that I embrace. And so I'm saying, Lord, help me, help me connect, help me connect. The Lord is convicting your heart about connecting into the family. And you need to make some decisions about, hey, I can't just attend here once in a while. I need to get involved, I need to connect, I need to be involved, I need the spiritual family. And if anybody needs to pray this morning, maybe you don't even know anybody. Maybe you need to come to this altar so someone can pray. And if someone prays over you, please tell them your name so at least they know one person's name in this place. If you've allowed the political division over racism or, or the, the, the division over politics or over racism, over masks, over vaccinations or no vaccinations. If you've allowed the nonsense that has divided this country to spill into your relationships, then you need to get to the foot of the cross and say, Lord, this is about Jesus and not about all the noise out there. I'm not gonna allow, I'm not gonna allow the division in this country to keep me away from the body of Christ or brothers or sisters that love you. I'm going to center on the cross. And there's people in this church that are Republicans and Democrats and they're followers of Jesus. And there's people in this church that are black and white and Hispanic and Asian and they're followers of Jesus. Yeah, and we are the people of God from a lot of different backgrounds, from a lot of different places, but we are not going to allow the division of the world to divide the body of the living God. Amen? All right, we're going to sing a song to close. If you feel like you need to come to this altar and say, Lord, connect me. I need to get involved. I need to get more consistent. I need to plug in. I need to, this is my family. Then I'm just going to ask that you come to this altar and get on your knees and say, here I am, Lord. I know that I need, I know what I need to do today. Let's sing. Word.